welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers. I'm your host, Mike Burge, and uh, today we have a very special episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about not one, not two, not three, but technically four films um, that all feature a strong female lead, a strong female character. Uh, strong. Ladies. <laughs> Buff. We're going to be talking about them. And today I'm joined by... Bernadette Gorman and Stamper. All right. And so, uh, Stamper, welcome back to Overdrinkers. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Bernadette, I think this is your first time on Overdrinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been on other podcasts, but now this is the fun one. Okay. You're not going to want to do the other ones anymore. (laughs) I'm here to play. Yeah. And Bernadette, what are we drinking today? We are drinking Bloody Marys. Ooh, yes. Featuring Tito's Vodka. Ooh, Tito's Vodka from Austin, Texas. You don't say. Mm -hmm. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Mm. So Uh, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, three characters in particular. We're going to be talking about Sarah Connor from Terminator. We're going to be talking about Lilu from The Fifth Element. And we are going to be talking about Beatrix Kiddo, a.k.a. The Bride, from Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2. Now, I like to consider Volume 1 and Volume 2 pretty much just one movie. So... It's technically three movies, but I mean, if you really want to be a dick about it, it's four. So way to go picking <laughs> a character that's in, hey, we have to watch two movies to that's be true. able to do it. Good yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we'll just jump right into it. We got a bunch to cover. Uh, I guess we'll just, we'll start with uh, Terminator. Uh, Sarah Connor. Um, when most people think about Sarah Connor, they think about, you know, uh, Sarah Connor from Terminator 2. They think about the glasses and like those buff arms and the the pulled back ponytail and like the the kind of black armor, like a like army like military esque kind of uniform that she's got in that. But when I think about Sarah Connor, I think about the early twenty something waitress who's going to college and lives with like her roommate Ginger and like owns an iguana and that's like her <laughs> that's where her like her maternal instincts goes to like and that's the the whole thing with sarah connor is that she's very motherly even from the first time that we see her in terminator and i always liked i i always found it funny how everybody always associated the strength of sarah connor's character to like when she has like ptsd and she's like shooting things up in the second one and like kind of like the idea that you know you have to be you know like an action hero to be a strong female character because in the first one, Kyle Reese, it's mainly between Kyle Reese and uh, the Terminator, the T-100. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you have these two male, uh, you know, protagonists and the antagonist. And one is like this, like, buff, super strong specimen. And then the other one is like, Kyle is more like your average, like, smaller, like, I don't want to call Michael Bean lanky. Right. <laughs> But he's like he's like your smaller, more like natural looking male. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you've got the um the the love interest, so to speak. But we we're introduced to Kyle first, right? And I believe we see the Terminator come through first. Right, but I, I meant in, in regards to between butt. Kyle and Sarah. Oh, yes, definitely. We see Kyle first. So like in that way, Kyle kinda is the main character, but like mm-hmm. that quickly shifts. When it starts mainly more becoming about Kyle, really doesn't have a journey. He's not really he doesn't really have an arc. He's got a mission and he's trying to fulfill it. And we get revealed certain secrets that he has. But Sarah's the one that has like an arc where she's kind of starts out like 
living day to day, job to job. Does she literally even says like I can't even balance my checkbook? Like she doesn't really have any control over her life, but she's kind of this uh, inactive, like uh, like she's very postmodern feminist for the early '80s, where she's not really she's not going to rallies and she's not she's not uh, openly discussing the merits of like uh, sexuality and gender. She's mainly like she's like she lives in an apartment with her roommate who is a floozy, you know, <laughs> and she like she constantly wants to go out and like party and like, let's go. And Sarah Connor is more comfy, just like she, she'll go to a movie by herself or she'll just go for a walk on her own or like she's totally comfortable walking into a really seedy bar, even if it's to get away from she thinks somebody's following her. She like she's totally comfortable walking into that scenario. Mm-hmm. With all the frailty and and like little innocent notes that we've been given with her, that's really weird to me. And it's always been really cool to see like the strength was always in her from the very beginning. And it took this very traumatic situation and these levels of emotions of like fear and anger, anything any average person would have when they would be thrown into that situation to really show her how strong she can be. The strength was always there. And it's not about her actions, about her fighting a robot from the future. It's it, it it's about uh, understanding who you are and the strength that's inside of you. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Right. Well, this experience, um, I see the whole movie as more or less an origin story mm-hmm. for Sarah and where she's going to go. Because as you mentioned, most people think of her when she is kind of uh, fully realized in her strength. But she doesn't get there without this trauma. Uh, and it acts as a catalyst because, like you said, she's just like an average girl go to school, had a job, go out with her friends, get all dolled up. But then this kind of comes in and crashes into her life and she has to take this other route that would have never been presented to her. She might have just gone about life all merrily and whatever. But um, there's this idea of a predestiny or fate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was no way that she would have ever had a normal life. Um, so it is um, the fact that she already had this innate strength within her only lends itself to the strength that she showcases later on um but throughout this she kind of i don't want to use the term damsel in distress but that kind of did there was a lot of that going on she has to learn she had to Mm -hmm. learn the hard way the hard way (laughs) and it's kind of like a misdirection in that way too where you Mm -hmm. think that she's the one that needs saving right where quite literally the end is her saving who we thought was the hero right you know that whole motherly instinct that you're talking about is very is is in there and it's uh you know when, when she when kyle gets mortally wounded and is like well, he ain't gonna make it out of this she's still like get on your feet soldier and right. that's where that that's where that uh character that she's been told that she's supposed to be and there's that on there too right like the mm-hmm. idea that women are are told what they should be oh, definitely. and she's literally just like i don't even know what i want to do with my life and mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's this guy that just shows up out of the blue and says, you are one of the most important people in the world. You have to do this. Mm-hmm. And she's scared because nobody wants to be told that they're like the mother of yeah, destiny. The one, yeah, the, yeah, right. the, one. the chosen it's one. Like, it's yeah. a very like, um, it's a Holy Mary. Yeah, oh, definitely. Kind of thing. There's definitely Christ allegories everywhere in movies. There's always, <laughs> always Christ allegories. Oh, yeah. I think it's always important to be really critical of self-fulfilling prophecies when they're presented to you in film. And there are lots of films, and in recent memory, um, 
Arrival comes to mind. Mm. But where you kind of wonder, did the action take place because we are told the action is going to take place? Or because that character chose in the moment to make a decision, and that's why the future unfolds the way it like unfolds. Like with the time travel, like that mm-hmm. that whole Terminator loop that they have. Mm-hmm. Like John Connor never would have been born if Kyle mm-hmm. Reese didn't go right. back, and he was told to go back by John Connor. By John Connor. That he, was something. So it's, it's some a weird lot. stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this one is important because you get the photo of her that Kyle carries with him and says that this is the only photo I have of you. But you seem sad but beautiful at the same time. And then to see that at the end of the film, that photo being taken, mm-hmm. you do realize that like this was the way things were supposed to yeah. go the whole time. And not only did he go back and help her become who she was supposed to, she would have done that almost anyway. I feel mm-hmm. like it made her even more independent in her own story. Because I think we all chose women who are physically strong. Mm-hmm. And that's shown heavily in the films that we've chosen. But I think it's important to realize that strength comes from choosing your own narrative. Right. And being in control of your own story. Mm-hmm. And I think she really does take that by the end of the movie. She says, like, this is not what I would have wanted for myself. Or what I would have imagined for myself. But I understand my role mm-hmm. in this. And I'm willing. And I'm open to the fight. It's... Well, it's funny too at that the the well not funny funny not ha ha funny it's like <laughs> funny um, the uh, the picture uh, he's uh, Kyle Reese says at one point I was I always wonder what you were thinking when that picture was taken and to find out like that she was actually thinking about him mm-hmm. when that picture was taken or like thinking about what she needs to do. That's one of the things like in the second one, I know that we said that we weren't going to touch too much on the second one because it's, I, I'm more fascinated with Sarah Connor from the first one. But in the second one, there's a deleted scene where Michael Bean reprises his role as Kyle Reese and comes mm-hmm. to Sarah Connor in a dream while she's stuck. Have you ever, guys ever seen this? I don't recall. Oh, excuse me. Bloody Mary. While she's stuck, <laughs> at, uh, while she's stuck in the, um, uh, the mental hospital, uh, she has a vision where uh, uh, Kyle Reese shows up, and for some reason he looks uh, six years older. Um, <laughs> I guess for obvious reasons. And um, he shows up, and it literally—it really looks like fanfic. If it wasn't like Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean in there in a James Cameron movie, you'd be like, "Who made this?" Because it's very cheesy, and it's essentially him just uh, reiterating the facts that we already know from the first one. It's like. You need to get out there. John is out there, and he is alone, and he is cold, and like all these things that eventually she says to him. They in the scene actually kind of makes it more about this PTSD that Sarah Connor has going into the second one, where she's kind of just through everything that she went through in the first one, losing uh, the man that she loved, realizing that the man that she loved was only there because of infinity loops of yeah. things mm-hmm. and that uh and then like her over parenting of john and her two like uh i guess crazy like she acted a little nuts and like tried to take destiny into her own hands because she was really trying to retroactively stop this terrible thing that was going to happen because she knew that her son was going to have to fight it and any any mother would want to make make life easier for their son and she tried to retroactively uh stop you know judgment day and all that stuff from happening got locked up and now she can't even be with her son and that's some of the most powerful that's the most powerful dynamic in the terminator story 
going from like all all of them, even the new ones, Sarkonic Chronicles, <laughs> which is a very, very, very good show. This coming from the guy that kind of likes True Detective season two, so don't I take my like word too, for so. it. I don't want to say I like it. I just. I promised myself I wouldn't get into this. Maybe appreciate. I'll save this. I'll save this for when I'm on another podcast with Jack and Robbie because they hate it. There are parts Uh-oh. that are likable. Yeah, there, there there are parts that I dig. God, I told okay. my, I promised myself we wouldn't get I into True Detective season two. I tried to watch the first season and I fell off it. So. Oh, the Sorry. first season. Yeah, the first season. Oof. Okay, back to Sarah. <laughs> um, and that's it's one of those things where like all throughout the Terminator story, it's all about this a son and how he um connects with his mother mm-hmm. and even the third one rise of the machines we're getting deep in there right now i'm sorry <laughs> the third one you know there's a whole subplot about like having to go to sarah connor's grave and you remember they go to her grave and she's in like a um she's in a uh, a crypt and they go in there is that what they call them a crypt Mausoleum. mausoleum. A mausoleum? Mm-hmm. It's not a crypt. It could be a crypt. Yeah, is it a crypt? Why not a crypt? crypt is like the creepy Halloween term for it. Yeah. Crypt. Yeah. Good. I'm going to call it a crypt. Yeah. I like go that. For it. It's a crypt. They go into the crypt and they go to, they go to where uh, her body's buried and they pull out the coffin and it's and it's actually just filled with guns. Oh. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Plot twist. But even in that, it's you know, it's about John Connor, played by teen heartthrob Nick Stahl. We miss you, Nick. Come mm. back oh. to us. Nick Stahl. Uh, the yellow bastard. The yellow bastard. Carnival. Yeah. But that's coming from a guy that likes True Detective. Yeah. Too, so I, I have no taste in, <laughs> in TV shows at all. Uh, God damn it. I promise myself. Oh, that's a, <laughs> celery. That's some fresh celery. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> no, this is going good so far. This is going good. Yeah. Um, it's all about that the, the story of like a boy and his mother and how this boy uh, looked at his mother who was trying to do everything that was right for him and by him but maybe but he necessarily wasn't ready to take on that john connor spends uh two films going through what it only took sarah connor one film yeah to figure out which is you don't get to choose yeah what's going on you don't get to choose your fate and that's what makes the second one and even there's it's the 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 biggest the, the biggest line from terminator that translate through translates through almost all the movies is no fate but what you make but we know as the audience that that is not true There's like no way, it's yeah. always but them living in the moment reconnecting yeah even in the second one when they destroy cyberdyne it is uh it just redirects and starts again it's like um, a ripple effect mm-hmm. you know it's like you drop a pebble in there it's going to ripple but eventually it will the 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 water will work itself out to be placid again it will mm-hmm. it'll redirect itself uh life finds a way as jeff goldblum would say in jurassic park <laughs> let's see how many references we can get in here uh but i've always liked that and i think that it's really funny i think that it's really fun how the mother instinct is act like linda hamilton sarah connor's character is only in the first two and then she's in the tv show as well and but we really want to try and focus on the first one and her her the main point i'm trying to get at is that through the first film she goes from, I'm just a nobody, and doesn't really have that much respect for herself either, mm-hmm. or really thinks highly of herself. She kind of thinks mm-hmm. that she's kind of a loser and kind of like, you know, just like not really worth anything. I think she doesn't really think about it very much. Right, yeah. yeah she's just kind of like, yeah, she's just kind like, of yeah, going is. through the motions in life. 
Right. And by the end, she's kind of presented as this, like you said, mother of destiny. Mm. And I think that that arc is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very good step in the right direction, what this movie is trying to do. I do think it's problematic just in general that women seen as the caretakers is a lesser version of a human as like a male who is active and actively out saving. Um, so from the very first scene, we see her, she's running late to her job and she's literally taking care of other people mm-hmm. at, she's a waitress, right. she's at a diner. Um, but I think to take that role and change it and give it its own power and to say that to be a caretaker and to be a caregiver and actually want to give of yourself to something else is powerful. And that it's not just about being the mother or just about being the waitress. Because mm-hmm. I feel like women are shoehorned into these roles where the first scene we see with the Terminator and Kyle is like their action. They're right. something other. They're beyond what we're used to seeing. And then the first thing we're told about Sarah Connor is that she's running late. And I think it's supposed to humanize her and mm-hmm. to get you to be like, oh, she's like the meek she's one. She's just trying to keep up. She's, yeah. yeah. She's still trying. To... I so, like that idea where you, you, the caretaker as opposed to protector. Mm-hmm. Like when you see a movie where there's a male character, like, you know, Logan, where there's a male character that's protecting a child, whether it's their child or not. Or like, you know, I think there's literally about 58 films where Jason Statham is protecting a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's like tons of those. <laughs> I don't know how he keeps that's always kids, like, but... <laughs> he's, the protect, he's the protector. Right. right. Whereas a woman in the care, in, in the, the line of protector would be more of a caretaker or mm-hmm. not necessarily called that, but you feel more of like this kind of... More passive role, maybe? Yeah, or... maybe not as aggressive, you know, like mm-hmm. a man, like a big buff man who's going to, I'm going to protect, the, I'm going to protect this child. Nobody's going to get this child. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, a female character in it, we're, we're, the audience is naturally looking at it kind of like, oh, they're caring. Like they're, they're going to, they're going to protect it, but they're more of a, they're taking care of the kid and making sure nothing happens to it. And mm-hmm. think that kind of goes into that natural line of, caretaker versus protector right. which are both motherly traits and that's Definitely. exactly what sarah connor's thing is same thing with uh ripley mm-hmm. aliens uh they uh, james cameron too james cameron is really good at creating these female characters these strong female characters that don't necessarily have to be strong or have to be female they're just strong they're just good characters strong. and they happen to be female you know, Joss Whedon, my boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, uh, he once, uh, he's been asked time and time again, he, he talked about once, like, he's been asked time and time again, um, why do you feel the need to write uh, such strong female characters? Like, why is it that you do what you're so famous for? Like, why do you do mm-hmm. it? And he's been asked that time and time again, and he finally addressed it in a speech, and he said, because you're still asking me that question. Right. And that's the whole like thing. That it's and it's not normal to do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, and JJ Abrams, even, who, like, my, my boy, JJ Abrams. Like, <laughs> not as strong. Boy. He's doing okay. He's doing all right. Uh, <laughs> he once said, too, he's like, I don't try and sit down and write strong female characters. I try to write strong characters, and sometimes they happen to be female. And, you know, that's a little bit more passive on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it still gets to that point where, it's not necessarily about the it's not about the gender of the character. It's about what the character means, what the character does, how the character thinks, 
and how the character changes and how they react to situations that makes them strong. And mm-hmm. the fact that they would be female, I think, would just make them stronger uh, because we're not used to seeing female characters in this light. And so starting in the 80s, it was the the uh, the re-representation of women. There's this great book, I can't remember who wrote it, called... We'll get back to it. It'll, it'll <laughs> pop it in my head. But it pretty much, it, it pretty much talks about um, how women went from... In film, women, char- female characters went from, uh, you know, just there for eye candy mm-hmm. and there because uh, you needed to have some kind of love interest or some kind of problem with the male me- lead character. How they went from this kind of um, appropriate character for a woman to play uh, to this almost kind of... Um, something bad has to happen to the character. If a, if a female character is a main character, something bad has to happen to them. You know, you can't just have a female main character and just have them go through a natural action story where they have to, you know, it, it has to be revenge. You right. know, it, it has to be, they have to atone for something. There has to be that, that idea of them getting back at the system or getting back at somebody that wronged them. It can never be like they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and now they have to wear a wife beater and crawl through the vents <laughs> and it's Christmas. And they got a, and, they, <laughs> and they have a receding hairline. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yeah, actually. definitely. I think um, one of my favorite lines from the Terminator was when they're under the bridge and Kyle is wounded and Sarah dresses his wound. She opens up the first aid kit that they happen to have and takes care of him. And he says, that's a great field dressing. She was like, oh, it's my first one. And I think that's great because it's showing that maybe he believes that she has done this before. But no, it's just a part of her. It's just part of her story. And the fact that she wasn't like, oh, yeah, I used to do this all the time. Or like, I've been a nurse in certain situations. No, she's just like, oh, well, I think that's great that you think it's great, but it's my first one. Right. I think that she takes it back for herself, I think. There are a lot of notes about just having this instinctual knowledge um, and talking about how women have been portrayed in the past as kind of like maybe glossed over and just put in a corner, you know, um, forgetting that there are these animalistic qualities to both men and women. But you see that primarily with men that are um, showcased in movies and whatever. But women, too, get very animalistic and protecting and loving and... Um, putting themselves in harm's way for others that's a that's a huge part of who we are as a per, as a people but women maybe in particular trying to protect a child so i think having that uh, dynamic there knowing that she will be a mother and the mother to the person that there's is going to there's something a little present. bit more naturalistic about that where yeah. you just your mind just jumps to like yo this is serious like yeah. you don't you don't mess with a lioness's cub exactly kind of exactly yeah. so um that kind of plays into how I feel about Lilu from The Fifth Element mm-hmm. in that she is primal. And when she is uh, presented the first time in the movie, she's very childlike in her um, not understanding what's going on around her, but also the way that she is calculating everything. It's an, in an animalistic sort of way. You see from through her point of view how she's kind of like blinking and seeing everybody in the room and has this... Um, feeling of fight or flight just like going on basic instinct um so i think the fact that she's a woman and that everyone before 
Well, I, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I thought because... that was a perfect segue. Into the <laughs> yeah. I think we, well, I think, just... we think we covered everything that we needed to with Sarah. But in, before getting into how she was presented as a woman, everyone um, in the beginning thought that the supreme being, this fifth element, would be a man. Of course. Of course. Of course. So when she awoke as a woman and all these men are standing around and they're in awe of how perfect she is aesthetically um, and they kind of this general approaches her and he's just like, hi, how's it going? And he like taps on it as though she's in a tank, you know, and he dangles I, the the key to her right, freedom right. in front of her. Just like, like, hello it's in there. Like, knock, knock. if you want to get out, you got to learn to play. You got to work on those vocal skills. Yeah, because she uh, was speaking an ancient mm-hmm. language and nobody understood it. And, um, oh, the general, he like kind of as an aside says to the, um, the primary doctor who brought her back mm-hmm. said, is that glass, um, you know, strong, and he goes, it's unbreakable. <laughs> and so then the general feels comfortable and kind of toying around and mocking her in a way, and she just kind of nods at him and kind of goes into this, like, growl, and she bursts through the glass and just knocks him out, takes the key, and lets herself out. And within, what is that, like 30 seconds of her being able to kind of decipher what was going on around her, that she was in danger, maybe, and had to get out of there, and then did in this kind of triumphant, amazing way, just that's her first introduction into the movie. It's mm-hmm. just like an animal, but also very childlike in her naivety mm-hmm. because she's awakening into this new world. Mm-hmm. And she only knew. And she, she's got like a look to her too that's calculating. Mm-hmm. Like she's not an animal in the fact where she's acting. Like it's not that she's re- like, she's reacting. Like mm-hmm. she's looking at everything and taking it into account. And she's constantly got that, that's Mia Jovovich's eyes are just so, they can be childlike from one second and the next, they're just like, do not fuck with that person at all. And that's, I I love the the childlike uh, aspect of Lilu at the beginning of Fifth Element. But then she's still like all knowing and Mm -hmm. all, she's like omniscient, omnipotent and morally good, you know, the supreme Mm -hmm. being filled Mm -hmm. with love and this want to protect um, and then in her escaping, she runs into Corbin Dallas, oh who also has this sort of predestined um, quality receding to him, too. Yeah, yeah, the receding yeah. hairline. Predestined receding hairline. Four smoke a day, Corbin Dallas. Corbin Dallas. <laughs> what a great movie that is, too. I really feel like The Fifth Element doesn't get enough praise. It's aged It's stylized. Well. Yeah, it has oh, aged It has yeah. aged very well. very well. What was that, 1993? Three, I think. Three? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. 93 or 94, yeah. God. And it's still so relevant. That's like 25 years old. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, my question to people who have seen it more often than I have, I've only seen it the once, and I watched it for this podcast, and yes. I needed to oh, see really? it. Oh, really? You've never seen it before? I had really oh, never seen it before. Oh, congratulations. such a great movie. So, my question is that when I watched it, I took it as she is the supreme being. She, because she looks like a woman. But is she a woman, or is she just fashioned to look like a woman? See, That's they bring up that question. she was engineered. Engineered, yes. yes. Right. I've always so she felt... was created to appear as a woman. Yes. Correct. I've okay. always felt too that uh, there's there's two ways that you can look at what the fifth element is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the film, what is the fifth element? And a lot of people look at the film and they go, "It's love," because mm-hmm. at the end, the final act, we see love. Yes. Is it? But it's very I actually, and the beast. I actually think that the fifth <laughs> element is life. Okay. And that. A man and a woman falling in love is life mm-hmm. because now they they have the capacity to create a life, hmm. and 
her being the fifth element herself is life, and obviously they would make her a woman because they're the ones that can create life. Right. So I feel like that's the only way to really answer that. Like it makes it makes a story a little bit less, you know, lovey dovey. But like love is a let's be honest, the love story in the fifth element is probably the least interesting yeah, thing about it. To be honest, I was thinking about this because I was thinking about it in a new context uh, the most recent time I watched it. And they, Corbin Dallas and Lilu, they maybe spend time together all of five times when she crashes into the cab. Mm-hmm. He brings her, and then she's like knocked out. He brings her to Cornelius' apartment. She just immediately apartment. likes him though, too. Well, She sees him, she's that's like... That's true. <laughs> Like she's constantly, I love that, that, that whole scene in the taxi yeah. cab. And then she tries to like explain things. And she's like putting her finger against him. And he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. And he immediately likes her too. Yeah, that's and that's true. why, uh, okay, I guess I was being a little hard on it. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, it is a very adorable love, a relationship that they have like from beginning to end. I love, can we talk about the consent scene? Oh, yeah, she's not I without. I love mm-hmm. that yes. scene because when I was a kid, that taught me to not be a dickhead. Mm, shouldn't have kissed her. Shouldn't have kissed her. <laughs> it's it's that whole Sleeping Beauty scene. She's laying on the couch. She's knocked <laughs> out. And he's left alone in the room with her for a second. And he's like, oh, she's something special because the priest just said that she was special. And he sits down <laughs> and the sun's coming in through the sunlight. And he leans in and he, and he kisses her. And then all of a sudden there's just a gun yep. pressed to his head and and she the starts gamut. saying like, never without my yep. consent. And he's immediately like, okay, you're right. You're I shouldn't right. have done I that. Have I done shouldn't that. have done that. I shouldn't <laughs> have done that. And then immediately he he breaks into this, you know, he goes from fear to happiness because he noticed, he sees that she's okay. And he's immediately like, okay, I'm sorry. Like he gives her his business card. He's like, I'm, I'm Corbin Dallas. Do you remember me? Corbin Dallas? Corbin Dallas. Bada boom. Big bada boom. And, and she's just got the gun train on him the yep. whole time, but she's kind of interested too because she's like, I there's something between them that neither of them can really figure out. Right. And that's the idea of like, you know, love and life. That scene is just so funny. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect scene because I just love when she brings out the gun. She's just mm-hmm. like, get away from me. It's one of the, she knows it's how one to work best it too. She wakes up and she just knows how to work that gun. She's mm-hmm. never held one before probably. The, one of the best moments in the movie uh, probably only beaten by um, Mia Jovich's face when she pulls that chicken out of the microwave. <laughs> chicken! That's the best. All for me. I love Mia Jovovich in this movie. Oh my god. It's great. Yeah. She learned that language. That language was created just for this mm-hmm. movie and she learned it perfectly. I mean, she's Russian, so. She hadn't it's really kind done anything before that, too, right? Um, Empire oh. Records had she done already? Mia Jovovich in Empire Records? No, wait. What movie am I thinking of? <laughs> no, she was in something when she was 16, I believe. That was prior to this. But she was kind of like a stoner hippie chick. Right, yeah. What I feel it? that's what I remember. Yeah, but what I can't... was that? Oof. Dazed and Confused? She was in Dazed okay, and Confused. That's okay. right. That's what we're thinking about. Yeah. I think so. Oh. But she was more of like background. Yeah, she point. was more background. Yeah. Stuff. And this was kind of her, her break into it. And then after this, of course, she had... Uh, the, the greatest career choice of her life, <laughs> which is uh, Resident Evil Infinity films, we're never gonna—they're di- never gonna stop. Uh-uh. I'll die before they start stop making those movies. That and Underworld—they're oh. like tandem films. They mm-hmm. always come out 
right around the same time. Mm-hmm. Powerful women. Powerful women. Oh yeah. yeah, why didn't we get a? Yeah, that's right. It is kind of like a, you know how they released like Armageddon and Deep Impact mm-hmm. on this oh, in yeah. the same year. You're like, it's like it's trending. Comet movies, yeah. yeah. And they <laughs> did like Independence Day and I think like some other alien movie, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. An, an, around the same time. Yeah. And like so Match it's Point, like, oh, Wimbledon. they made yeah, exactly. It's like they always come out. Yeah, they, they always come out in twos. They're just like, oh, strong female character i guess we should make this one too right now. Yeah. you guys could just keep making these like they're, they're a lot of fun we like them they're different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like can you imagine how much how different uh like die hard 3 would have been like if instead of john mcclain like they just were like or like no die hard not die hard 3 uh die hard uh i guess it's five oh, is the one where his son shows up like why not have it be his daughter i guess right. that i guess that though starts to play into the you know the cliche of it. Feel you know, a little like taken ass. They're like, yeah, they're like pushing it. They're like, it's the same, only this time it's a there's girl. a girl that kicks ass. <laughs> and you're like, all right. Like, have you guys seen the Transformers? Yeah, uh, the new Transformers no. trailer. Oh yeah, no. There's a new Transformers trailer. We saw it before Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, and, the Beast. Mm-hmm. and there is this. Look, Wait, I don't. The Transformers. Trailer for Beauty and the Beast. The Transformers trailer before Beauty and the Beast. Wait, that's a great idea. The Beast is actually a transformer. (laughs) All the things that are in in the uh, in the castle are transformers. Transformers, technically. The hidden transformer movie. (laughs) We're breaking new ground here. Uh Uh, No, there's there's a new ad campaign for the new Transformers film, which is called um, Dark Side of Extinction Shit. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I'm not sure. But it's something like that. Extinction shit. And there's this new ad campaign for it where they're pushing it as if Mark Wahlberg is not the main character of this movie and that it is, in fact, this um, younger girl who looks like maybe she's like 16 mm-hmm. in the movie. Maybe a little bit supposed younger. Supposed to be like a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is her like speaking to the camera oh. in, like a, in a movie. Saying what you would think about a woman or a girl in this role. Right, she's literally breaking down, and you would think it's meta if it wasn't so just poorly handled, Mm -hmm. and it literally just feels like somebody on the Transformers team was like, oh, people seem to be respecting women lately. (laughs) Maybe we should try and grab onto that, but they don't know how to respect women, so they're kind of like, okay, uh, so like they're strong and I guess like they're fucking independent or something. something. Like they just, they, they, she says these things and it really rubbed me the wrong way. But I guess also at the same time, like I said with Beauty and the Beast, representation is representation. It's opportunity true. is opportunity. I guess it doesn't matter. I think the bother, the thing that bothered me was the fact that she had like hair in her face the entire trailer. And I'm like, if you're oh. like a fighter, you're not going to have like your hair, your hair like stringing in front of your face. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it doesn't make you look edgy. This is an emo. Like, you're fighting for your lives. <laughs> I guess this, that's a good segue. In 2006. That's Let a go. good segue into uh, Lilu's awesome hair. Oh, my God. Oh, so that's why I named my kitty Lilu, because the bright orange hair. Well, that's right. Mm-hmm. We also realized today that all three of us have orange cats. Orange kitty cats. Yes. Yeah. Orange, orange, kitty cats. <laughs> orange cat club. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do love how it was all stylized. The overt coloring throughout all of it. The, um extravagant costuming when they finally get to um, Gloucester in Paradise. Just these <laughs> totally random characters that are brought in. You're like, of course this is our future. Of course it is. Um, but the fact that they try to make it seem like her hair is an organic, natural color. Obviously it's not. <laughs> <laughs> She's an engineered supreme being. Yeah. But um, 
I did appreciate Orange that. is a good color, though. It looks great on her, color. and the way her color. eyes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the contrast I'd in Im- color. I'd imagine why that's why they did it. Orange and her eyes, her like just like it just it just eyes. it just pops. There it was makes a lot of pop. orange throughout the movie in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Luke Besson's a big color guy, and he also had um oh goodness, what's the guy's name? Which guy? Oh, uh, the set designer, the oh. production, uh, uh, the I'm not sure Garnway or. He's like a French dude, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Luc Besson. Um, I, I, I look I'm him up. Sure he's he's absolutely fantastic. He actually made um, uh, over a thousand costumes uh, for this film, like really? costume designs, I like so many. Like, and he had to do sketches for each of them, right. and like crowd control. And I mean, like when they have like the crowds, like let's talk about this the, the, these costumes here. Like, think about the. We'll keep it on. We'll keep it on task. Okay. Uh, let's okay. look at the female costumes besides Lilu. Okay. 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 I was going to bring up the oh. McDonald's girls, mm. the flight oh. attendants. Mm. The, you mm-hmm. know, the person, whatever his name is, who did all this thinking, thought about the evolution of style, mm-hmm. but also how women were going to be portrayed. Mm-hmm. So they're very sexual, but they're also objects. like geometric, and uh, the colors are very nice, and like everyone's kind of. You know, they're all wearing these wigs, I've noticed, too. Like, the flight attendants, they all had these short white bobs. And mm-hmm. the McDonald's girls all had these kind of, like, shoulder-length, orange-toned cuts. Geometrical, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Geometrical as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting how the way that the women are portrayed outside of Lilu that are just kind of run-of-the-mill, you know, working their everyday sort of jobs, are more background, and they're all made to look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lilu obviously stands out amongst well, all of them. Yeah, like mm-hmm. women as a whole throughout the film, with the exception of Lilu, who and is the, the exception. To, oh, yeah, the diva. Who is the literal but exception. But anyone who's to a lead, role. too. Like right. Anyone well, that was humans, in the audience. Humans. Right. Humans. Like, yeah, true. Lilu is the literal uh, exception to the rule. Like, she is the new thing that's uh, introduced. The McDonald's, like, all the women are like flight attendants, they work at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those are really the only ones that I can think of. There's well, uh, the, the flight attendant too, like at the airport at the trash right. place. Right, that's in that like receptacle. That's in that receptacle, thing, and yeah. and they are just they're they're objectified. Like they yeah. all kind of look the same, mm-hmm. and their bosoms are constantly on. Well, that's exactly on, it. Yeah, you and, know, like their torsos are always showing. Their tops are made so that you know everything's covered except for the right amount of cleavage. You mm-hmm. know, it's crazy. The, the, the cop at McDonald's, thank you so much. So much. So much. Uh, and, and she's the, just smiling and like, you get these, uh-huh. you get these government, You get these government military scenes where it's just a room full of dudes. Well, I was going to say, it's a shame that, that they have the no only, idea what's going on. The only woman who is not portrayed other than Lilu with like a bare midriff and the cleavage mm-hmm. is the female officer who comes to recruit Corbin for this mission. Oh, that's right. right, but she and is she's very butch, very, right? Yeah, like she almost has like a unibrow, mm-hmm. and she's very covered up, and I think deemed yeah unattractive. I think that's when when Hollywood was still taking jabs at the Russians. <laughs> oh, we were still like you little <laughs> assholes. That that makes it okay. Then. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying it makes it reason. okay. I'm saying that's what they were going for. Right. But yeah, I do think. Um, Nowadays, and I don't think Luke Besson could have maybe foreseen this, nowadays I feel like women do dress more scantily, but they claim it as their own. They do it with their yes. own volition. And so we're kind of like taking our bodies yeah. back 
But yeah, in the world of the fifth element, that's not what's happening. Yeah. There is a kind of, I wonder if it's, I've not, I haven't read anything about this and it kind of just like popped up in my head right here while we're talking about it. But I wonder if he meant to do that in a way where that's what the future would look like if women continued to be objectified and and just like kind of kept in their place and as yeah. hard as that is for me to even say like if they were mm-hmm. just kind of like not allowed to you know like we never got a female president and like the ceo counts uh like the female to male ratio of ceos in the world like remained where it is which i think is like fucking three percent mm-hmm. um it like it where it's just like they're all mcdonald's workers and they're all like maids and cleaners and anybody that owns their own business or anybody that's in, in control militaristically of of the universe of the galaxy mm-hmm. is all are all just a bunch of bumbling men i mean all of the stuff with the with the military in this movie is practically idiocracy yeah you know they're just kind of like bumbling around and just kind of like um what do we do now like right. i don't know shoot more stuff well, exactly. at it exactly even the way that they interact with this evil element this just shoot dark, at it. yeah just shoot at it not realizing that the evil that they're sending out is only making it stronger. Evil begets evil. Evil begets mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a really good point that you're bringing up, that these men are making these decisions without actually thinking about it. And, you know, the president's like, I have um, a doubt. And the guy who, uh, I don't remember his title or his name, but that initial scene where they're encountering this evil element to mm-hmm. begin with. And he's just like, I don't have a doubt, sir. And he just sends more ammunition mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. it. It increases in size and... They don't, not even once do they think not to continue to send these missiles at it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should have taken a moment there's, to think. There's <laughs> definitely like a, an intentional um, gender commentary going on. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, it, it, the movie is so ingrained in my psyche from watching it for so long, like since I was a kid, Same. that until the recent watch, I was like really taking it in and trying to like watch it fresh for the first time. And in order to do that, I, I just I usually just try and get like drunk yeah. and watch it and like try and like uh-huh. Oh, but don't drink while you watch. Get drunk, then watch. And so then you watch. start to sober up yes. while you're doing it. And you're like, OK, I get this. It's just a little thing that I do. It's not very healthy. <laughs> um, but specifically on this rewatch, I realized uh, Ruby Rod. I Ruby love Ruby Rod. Rod. Ruby Rod. Chris Tucker. Uh, yo, that's that's like. That's big news for That's 1993, huge. and I huge. never took that into account. I always just treated it's it like as this fluidity. as this parody. You know, it's like this parody of mm-hmm. the the feminine male, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely not that because he he constantly goes back and forth between masculinity and femininity, right. like a ping pong ball. He's constantly going back and forth, and you don't know like is he straight? Is he bi? Is he gay? What's going on here? And he's dressing in all these elaborate clothes. He's got the best. Oh my god! Clothes in Definitely. this movie. The outfit during that scene where they're going to the theater with like you know his collarbones are exposed, his off the shoulder number with these roses. I'm uh-huh. like, I would wear that. I mean, why can't we get a Fifth Element sequel? Because one of the worst <gasps> one of the worst parts about this movie is that we don't. Lilu never interacts with Ruby Rod. Oh my. Oh my Because gosh. by the time. Wait, weren't they all in the ship together? They were all in the ship together, but she gets shuttled off, and they take Corbin because he's the winner. No, after the fact, when they're all leaving, she's the ship. dying. Like she's not she's, like yeah, she's she can't like she right. can't talk to him. You're right. And he's like freaking out. And he's just like, come on, 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 come
Oh my god. We, I could just do 40 minutes, a 40 minute a podcast of just doing like, you know, just doing <laughs> different lines from the fifth element. Yeah, I would say that um this is kind of a little off topic, but going back, there is a little bit of a struggle here because we do have a very like macho Corbin. Mm, machismo. Very machismo. And also most of the other men <laughs> in the story are also very machismo. Mm. But I really appreciate that every time Lilo takes off her shirt, the men turn away. Oh, that's right. They know to say, mm-hmm. like, give her space. We respect her as a mm-hmm. human. She doesn't quite understand, like, being naked is strange. Yeah. Again, like, to that, her, it's, it's just a thing. It's that childlike. Yeah. It's very, like, she, she, you know, she obviously, Mayovich takes too. care of her yeah. body, and right. she is very athletic and looks amazing. But in the sense of the character, she's very, she doesn't even realize that that sexuality is right. a power. She doesn't even realize. She's just like, mm, it's just a body. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh, that's uh, her getting dressed too. That whole scene, <laughs> that whole scene in there where she's just like, where she likes. She's like, ooh. When she's smiling, she's like, Duncan. <laughs> I get to wear this. <laughs> she's so cute. She's adorable. That's the thing. She's so cute, but she's also so, um, someone to be afraid of. Supreme right. being. Supreme being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The fight scene where the diva is singing oh. and Lilu is just kicking so much ass. That's another thing, too, oh I my noticed. God. Uh, Corbin Dallas is there on a mission. And he's And while him. he's just enjoying a show, Lilu is somewhere else getting the mission done. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really good. And I, and that's, I guess, most of the fight. I always. I talked about this with somebody last night while I was getting ready for the podcast. And I was like, have you ever seen The Fifth Element? And we started talking about how, when I said, have you ever seen The Fifth Element? Who was the, what was the first image that popped into your head? And they were like, uh, uh, Mia Jovovich with orange hair. Right. So you didn't think of Bruce Willis uh-uh. with blonde hair. Or like his weird clothes. Yeah, it was like, like, like the cutouts in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about how much we love all the clothes. And we're just going to make fun of Bruce Willis. We, lo- we love Bruce Willis we over here. It. It's okay. He's fine. You know, he's made some really rough decisions in the past couple of years. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but it's you when the fifth element it's her, yeah. it's her movie yeah whether or not she is the uh you know whether or not it says bruce willis gary oldman then me we didn't bitch. even talk about zorg we, oh. we haven't gotten there yet one of the best villains i've seen one of the most fun villains i've ever watched i think he's great but anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh i mean he's he uh, he's 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 very flamboyant as well uh, in mm-hmm. uh costume wise yeah, and everything mm-hmm. like the plastic that, that pinstripe that pinstripe vest that he wears like <sighs> God, I hope that that's what people get to wear in public before I die. I'd love to wear stuff. I'd love to wear stuff. We can make that happen. Yeah, let's let's just do this. You ever see somebody walking down the street that's obviously trying to look like a character from a movie, and you're just like, that's not what it. That's not like. Remember when like uh, goth kids and stuff like that used to dress like Neo from the Matrix? Oh my god! Like wear their glasses and their long trench coats, and they walk through school and they think they were cool. And it's like you're freaking everybody out. (laughs) You look weird. What's that movie yeah. where that guy dresses like uh, Neo from the Matrix and he presses himself against a wall and someone's like, what are you doing? And then the guy walks away and the guy pressed against the wall was like, boy? how did he see me? <laughs> Is it Grandma's boy? Oh, I don't know. Never mind. I'm That's just the one where the guy like, acts like a robot. Like, image in my mind of this guy forget it <laughs> uh, if you if you're listening and you know what that movie is comment. please uh comment let me know. and let us know yeah i want to know because i don't right. know and I'm, I'm usually pretty good at that 
But it's totally Lily's movie. You're oh, 100%. hands down, hundred percent correct. Absolutely, yeah. it's a, everything about her character and her arc. Her in rapid this, evolution. Yeah, it's just like learning. you know how she goes from you know a caged animal to lost child to uh, savior of absolutely everything. everything with little bits of total badass just mm-hmm. sprinkled in there throughout mm-hmm. is great. Uh, it's a great fight scene, too. Oh, to my that, God, to that it's song. so great. <laughs> the back and, yeah, the back and forth with the uh, the singing and her fighting. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, there's just something so powerful about that. And it's, the diva is aware of what's going on, too. It's almost mm-hmm. as if she's singing about the fighting. Yes. Because yeah. it totally Absolutely. turns mm-hmm. as all this is unfolding. Yeah, I was talking to Heath about the fact that the supreme race or the supreme oh the the race that uh the ancient ones yes that hide the stones yeah mm -hmm. that they guardians of the galaxy comes out in may (laughs) (laughs) noted they decided to take the stones away from men and entrust women to protect Mm -hmm. these stones is very powerful too Mm -hmm. just the fact that i don't know for what reason i think it's just because as we've spoken about in the past in this podcast just that men were bumbling idiots and kind of grown to be inefficient and wow that's a good word to use Um, that's actually really good yeah yeah so yeah to give like women the power Mm -hmm. because they're unassuming for one but also just more in tune possibly with the actual importance yeah, how these stones? You, I don't understand how women didn't like take over from the beginning. <laughs> it really freaks me out. Like, I understand why why it is like it is now after years and years and years of like getting beaten down and told what to do and being represented in a certain way. I get that, but mm-hmm. how did we ever get one up on you guys? <laughs> how did we ever do that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh shit. <laughs> watch your ways uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, Lilu um well I do want to say like one of my favorite scenes it's a very quick scene mm. but it's kind of um the perfect showcase of her evolution and the understanding that she is the protector is when they get onto the shuttle leaving earth to Flossed in Paradise and uh Corbin Dallas gets into this you know little cell that they have to sleep in and there's going to be um a simulated sleep activated where everyone's kind of gassed and put to bed and he rolls in and he's like hey i don't remember what he says but she <laughs> speaks english say what you were about to <laughs> hey, hey baby, baby. Like, yeah. hey what's up <laughs> but she speaks english and he is surprised by this and she goes yes i learn and he said something to the effect of how he is going to protect her and she said yep. no i protect you sleep and then the woman presses the button and he's like wait a second and he passes out and then when he awakes she's already gone maybe showcasing that the gas didn't affect her whatsoever and she's already on the mission Mm -hmm. so i think that's a really great segue between um who she was introduced as the naive child slash animalistic woman and then the all-knowing supreme being that she is you see that um change right in that moment and how she takes charge from thereafter and Corbin's just more or less on this uh, little vacation <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the same with Corbin too like uh, Bruce he's Bruce Willis he is um, white action star right well, I mm-hmm. guess it's kind of like when you say action star you're, you're thinking of like a strong white guy right yeah I and mean, that's kind of just what it is right he mm-hmm. is like an action star 
and he's the main character. He's headlining it. It's a Bruce Willis movie, which is what they're trying to do. Yeah, even on the and cover, he's like his head. His is head huge. is big. Yeah. yeah. Get, uh, it's about the fifth but element. It's, uh, <laughs> it, he he uh, he slowly starts to realize in the movie that maybe uh, Lilu's. How do I word this? Maybe Lilu's um, childlike uh, traits have actually been more of, like, condescension. Mm-hmm. And more kind of <laughs> like, let me talk like you. Real, like, the way yeah. that you talk to a pet mm-hmm. or a baby. And that's how she's communicating with Corbin and all these other people. It's just kind of like, uh-huh. Like, and because that's what she's doing because she's just super smart. Like, we don't know mm-hmm. if the even the personality that she's presenting is actually her personality. Like, I don't want to get too deep into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I believe that that is who Lilu is. But I think that there's this level of, like, she's like, oh, well, I can learn this language. if mm-hmm. I And if she can learn a language that quick, I'm sure she can learn social and cultural norms mm-hmm. that quickly where it's like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just talk to you like this and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adding to that, the scene directly preceding the flight scene, they are trying to get on the plane, they're trying to board, and she keeps saying, multipass, multipass, and mm-hmm. he's saying, we know it's a multipass, like, calm down, <laughs> calm down, She knows honey. it's we, a multipass. Yeah. We okay. get it. Yes, it's a really. I am Corbin Dallas. <laughs> this is bullshit. But really, <laughs> we could be saying that she's playing the role that she knows society expects of her. Mm. She's pandering to the fact that women don't have a lot of power in this society. And if she acts a little confused, they'll just think like, oh, they're cute. Like, right. let's get them on the plane. Like, it's true. Yeah, let's move them right there. along. So mm-hmm. I, I can agree with you. She might yeah. be playing a role. Well, I think this is a, a good enough time as any. We'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll tackle Beatrix Kiddo and Kill Bill and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll uh... these bad boys up. <laughs> They don't call it over drinkers for nothing. It's <laughs> noon. Nothing. We're it's too noon deep. right now at this point. No, recording. it's one o'clock. Oh, don't. Noon sounds it's better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll it's be right noon. back. Thank you for listening. <laughs>